Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. Well, uh, Steve's still in Thailand, so you're stuck with me for one more week. I can see attendance is down, so... <laughs> Don't worry, he's coming back. Um, I'm excited, though, to share the word uh, a second week in a row. I love just digging in and, and getting to share this, so uh, hopefully... In the course of this message today, we can look at the Word and be encouraged and have some uh, real nuggets. I hope everyone gets something from God's truth today to be able to hold on to. Uh, so let's pray for that. Lord, thank you for this uh, time. Uh, Lord, help us to fix our minds on you now and uh, Lord, to, to be ready to hear from you. Thank you, God, for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you have ordained uh, this day and this moment for us to be together before you now. We love you. We want to honor you and bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so your will, may, may your will be accomplished in our hearts and minds and souls this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. All right. Well, um, this is kind of part two of um, uh, uh, a series, just a quick two-week series uh, called The Understudy. And last week, if you weren't here... Um, we just kind of used the, the metaphor of an understudy in the world of theater to uh, kind of say, well, what could we learn from that? Um, what does an understudy do? The understudy is the person that backs up the lead actor and prepares the whole time in many ways, just like the lead. And, and we looked at a few things that the understudy did last week, reads the script, and we're comparing this to what is it? We're an understudy to Christ. We are, we are learning from him. And, and so we have to step into the scenes of life uh, every day with faith and in his power. And so what does an understudy do? They read the script, invest their time well, uh, they're part of the cast, and take direction from the director. And that's last week's message. So uh, if you want to dig into what those things, if you weren't here last week, you can dig into that. We have that out there on our website. Uh, we also shared a quote from uh, a guy named M. Robert Mulholland in a book, An Invitation to a Journey, uh, which is about spiritual formation, spiritual transformation, becoming like Christ. And that process is something that, that we want to encourage one another and hold each other accountable to. This is what we're doing. We are becoming like Christ. And so this is what Robert Mulhan called spiritual formation or how he described that process in that book. Uh, spiritual formation is the process of being formed in the likeness of Christ for the sake of others. And one thing we talked about last week is just that, that, that one thing that stands out here is that's a process of us being formed rather than us making all the decisions and sort of thinking through the things of spiritual formation. And we're going to look at some things this morning that, that I hope will illuminate that. Some things that, that maybe are, are not the right thoughts and the right processes and, and the right foundations in life because we have all accumulated things in our paradigms and our ways of thinking that are contrary to scripture. Uh, and so we want to kind of examine some of those things today. And what I'm going to do is kind of build uh, a, a case quickly for what it means to, to be spiritually formed in the likeness of Christ. And I want to give us some, some handles this week. Last week, we talked about kind of the conditions of our faith or the conditions and circumstances of our life and what we can do uh, on a daily basis in sort of shaping those and changing those and making 
are, are taking those things, the, the, the activities of our life, so that there's good soil in our hearts, and, and sort of examining that a little more closely this week. So uh, I want to show you Romans 12 too. So look at this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve. Uh-oh, lost that one. Okay. What God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And will, I, I think, oh, oh, he'll be back. <laughs> We're flying solo now. Yeah, I think if we just cycle that, it'll come back on. Thank you. Um, so do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. I think if we're honest, I think a lot of us really push back against sort of, well, certainly dogmatic doctrines uh, and, uh, or dogmatic theological doctrines. And then maybe some of us push back on theological doctrines. And, and maybe a step beyond is we push back on doctrines at all. We just want to be completely free. But what I want to suggest to you today is that because of our society, because of where we are in history, because of uh, what happens in today's world, the modern world or postmodern world, is that there are actually doctrines that we live by that we don't even know. And uh, that, I think, these patterns do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. I'm going to use that scripture to say, well, let's, what are some of those doctrines? If you're aware of this, we are many of us, most of us, or maybe all of us, are products of secular humanism. And that's basically, secular humanism or exclusive humanism is basically the idea of human flourishing. The top of the authority structure is the human. Us, me, you, the individual, any one of us. That is the top of the authority structure in secular humanism. And there are beliefs and patterns of thinking and constructs in this idea of secular humanism that we all come, we all live in, that affect us. And so, what are these patterns? What are these doctrines? I want to point out a few of them that I think can help prepare the way, so that we're going to look at we're going to look at truth and and what God says and how God directs us in spiritual formation. But I think it's worthwhile for a moment to just pause and go, okay, what are the what are the untruths? What are the things that run? counter to God's truth in our lives. With me? Is that okay? All right, so here's the first one. Rationalism. The age of reason, the enlightenment. Rationalism is something that, again, the human, the individual is at the top of the authority structure in secular humanism. And rationalism is something that where you, we just say, well, I can think through this. I can solve this. I can do this. I can overcome this. Do you hear, do you hear what I'm saying? It, it's I, it's me, and it's these, they're God-given faculties. We have this capacity to think. We have this mind and, and a will and our heart and our emotions. But, but we take rationalism, and it becomes this thing that, that causes us to stop short of what God's power and God's uh, ability is. In fact, if you think about the scripture, ask, seek, and knock. I believe rationalism prevents us from asking. Do you relate to that? Re to reason through something will prevent me from even asking. Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. 
But because I'm such a rational, a product of rationalism and a product of society and a product of this postmodern world, I stop short. I'm going to figure it out. So I would encourage us today to look at these things. Let's, let's ask God, and maybe we should do that in, for 10 seconds. Let's ask him, Lord, would you break down uh, these things that, that have strongholds in our lives that uh, prevent us from coming to you? Uh, Lord, help us to pull back uh, the veil on the schemes of the enemy this morning and uh, reveal to us, Lord, how we can forsake those things that are of the flesh and move toward those things that are of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. All right. Amen. 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 So rationalism, you got that? The next one is materialism. Now, I'm saying these are doctrines, and, and you kind of you test this. You hold on to what's good here and see if you feel this in, in your heart, in your mind. So materialism, obviously, we know what that is, but we live in a material world. It, it, what I can see, feel, touch talk about, describe. We live in a material world. But there are things in this material world, and I believe this is kind of where it becomes doctrine, that prevent us from drawing near to Christ again. Uh, think, for example, of how we seek out happiness, fulfillment, pleasure. We seek those things in a material world. We seek those things. Now, think about it. Happiness, does that's not the same as joy. But I think that sometimes, oftentimes, we try to get joy strictly from the material world. And if you go back to Jesus' teaching, ask, seek, and knock, what are we seeking? Oftentimes, we're seeking fulfillment from a material world. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a doctrine. The Lord says to seek Him. Ask, seek, and knock. I believe this idea of in our society, which is so material, we don't look to the, to the metaphysical. We don't look to the... To, that's just beyond the physical, by the way. We don't look to the spiritual, the deep things of God and Almighty God. We stop at this material level. And that can prevent us from seeking God. Are you with me? I'm going to give you two more uh, uh, to belabor this. Uh, two more. Immediatism. The first guy I heard about talk about immediatism was a guy named Chris Armstrong in a book called Medieval Wisdom for Modern Christians. And there may be others who, who identified this. But immediatism in our community, maybe I don't even need to talk about it. You know what it is. We want it now. We want it now, do we not? And boy, we get frustrated when we do not get it now. And you could think, I'm sure every one of us could describe something in our lives that we, we want, probably from this week or this morning, and we want it now, even in the spiritual realm. You see, spiritual growth, the process, by the way, the process, we don't want the process. We don't want that journey of patient endurance, as Paul says. We want spiritual maturity now, today. So here it is from our society. This is sneaking into our theology have you, ever had, have you ever had God say no to a, a prayer request? There's a journey there. There's a journey to be had. You have, we have to dig in a little bit more deeply on that. And I believe immediatism can stop us from knocking. 
Do you remember the parable where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a, a friend? He had a traveler uh, come to his house at night. He went to his neighbor and knocked and knocked and knocked. And his neighbor said, no, no, I'm in bed. I can't give you anything. He kept knocking. He, was persever he persevered. Kept knocking. I believe immediatism can stop us from knocking at the door, from coming, from having these habits that are repeated in our spiritual life, not just one time, not just for a week or a short season, but to, to pursue Christ for our entire lives. That is an incredible process that immediatism can rob us of. A fourth one, productivity. You feel that, don't you? Do you, do you need to be busy all the time? Do we need to be productive all the time? You know, someone invites you to dinner, you can't just say, no, I'm not coming. <laughs> you have to say, no, 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 I'm not coming because, you know, I've got this and this. And yeah, let me make a couple calls. We'll see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm, you know or I'm going to be super busy and, you know, it's just been a busy week. We have to be productive all the time. What does productivity rob us of? What does this sneaky little thing rob us of? Peace. What else? Rest. A Sabbath? What's that? Thank you. Thank you. Do you, you feel this stuff rubbing against the, the truth, God's truth? And I mean, these things are embedded deeply within us. Would you agree? I hope so. Um, so yeah, productivity prevents us from rest. It prevents us from maybe abiding in the Lord. I want to be so productive, and maybe in my spiritual life, that can sneak in there as well. I want to be so productive, I don't have time to wait on the Lord. Are you with me, church? All right. Now, these are the wrong things, you understand? Don't take these sound bites. Okay. So how are we to counter these patterns? How are we going to counter these embedded doctrines they've calcified in our lives in so many ways, we have to examine them. We have to pull back that veil. Pray for these things that God will break down and tear down these strongholds. So I think the first thing is we have to choose to slow down. If we're going to grow deep, we have to choose to slow down and grow deep. Uh, I want to share some things this morning with you that, um, well, I'll, I'll save that for a moment. I want to show you one, one verse first, Timothy 4, 7 through 8, uh, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both this present life and the life to come. Train ourselves to be godly. In Aspen, the mind-body-spirit idea, we spend a lot of time on the mind and the body, do we not? But the spirit... Oh my goodness, that is something. That is that, that area where the kingdom exists. It's like, God, that's something beyond what I can comprehend. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are so much higher than ours. Rationalism and some of those other things just really, really push against that. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Bill Fabricini, he's a clinical specialist in, in orthopedic physical therapy. He's also a sports performance coach. And I've known him for 25, oh my gosh, maybe close to 30 years. 
He's helped our family uh, just with physical things and just friendship over, over many, many years, many decades now. And I was talking with Bill about physical exercise. Paul says here, physical training is of some value. And in that world, there was a, a high commitment there as well. Uh, you're talking about that Roman era when there was lots of physical training and contests. And those things were important. And Paul points out, hey, that's of some value. But godliness has value for all things. Train yourself to be godly. And I want to look at this this morning from a physical training perspective and see what we can learn, see if there are parallels or comparisons or contrasts that we can make from physical training to spiritual training and see how that can encourage us. I asked Bill a few questions. I said, how does the body adapt, grow, or respond to physical training? And Bill has had so much experience. He has trained collegiate athletes, professional athletes, Olympians, medalists. He has done sports, I mean, training programs and exercise programs for huge companies. He has developed, oh my goodness, sports products, training products that are sold nationally. And he develops a, uh, an app that has an exercise thing that's, developed, that's distributed nationally. He has a ton of experience. So here's what he said to how does the body adapt, grow, or respond to physical training. Hello everyone, wish I could be there with you today. I'm back east visiting my mom and my sister. Great question, Derek. The thing we have to remember about training or stress is it's putting a tension on the body, a stress on the body, so to speak. Whether you're in the gym lifting weights, whether you're running and putting cardiovascular stress on your oxygen system, your cardiovascular system, whether you're using uh, springs and Pilates or doing body weight stuff in yoga, it's all stress and that stress, that tension, breaks tissue down in the body. And very much like a, if you ever watch a construction site, when you see a construction process going on, there's the breakdown of the building, the workers come in. We have these cells in the body that further break down the damaged tissue that occurs because of exercise. Then you have a cleanup team that comes in. You don't just put a building up, you gotta clean all that waste product out. So all that damaged tissue, the cells that are damaged, the, the vessels that are damaged, all have to be cleaned up and only then does the buildup process occur. With exercise, it's often in that first 24 hour period, a lot of these things happen after the stress on the body occurs. And over a period of 48 hours to 72 hours, you start building everything back up and that tissue you build back up is stronger. Good things happen. That tissue becomes more pliable, more resilient to further stress. It's, a, it's this beautiful breakdown and building back up process. Adapts. The body adapts and grows and responds to physical training. Do you think our spirits, our souls, our being might respond to spiritual training, training in godliness? I mean, could it over, could it over time have benefits for us? I mean, Paul is talking about something here. I think he's making a comparison, a comparison for a reason. I asked Bill uh, three questions. The second one was, what are the benefits of repetition of physical exercise? and training. What are the benefits of repetition? Not just one. So, so think about it. You could exercise one day and then sit on your couch for a week. So you get a little bit of benefit, but then as soon as you stop moving again, you start to atrophy. Your muscles can atrophy by not being, you know, constantly engaged. Your movement patterns atrophy. There's this process of breaking the body down and building it up. And it has to be done repetitively 
Every time you break it down, it becomes a little bit more resilient. Your muscles grow a little bit more. The tissue becomes a little bit more resilient. Your cardiovascular system starts to lay these little micro vessels called capillaries. And just think if you were running a marathon, you couldn't just go run a marathon and train maybe for one week, two or three times. You have to build up. Your body breaks down, then it gets a little stronger. Then you break it down, it gets a little stronger, break down. So over a period of two or three months of adding a few miles in every week, you can run the marathon. If you're into strength training, you can't just lift super heavy weights. You start light, break the body down a little bit. It grows, gets a little stronger, breaks down a little bit again with this simple, it's this constant loading, adapt, loading, adapt. That's how you get stronger. That's how you get more fit. That's the beauty of how the body works and adapts. So Bill's talked to us about physical training, but do you see any parallels in that? Is, uh, is he talking to us about spiritual training as well? Uh, have you ever recognized atrophy in your spiritual lives? Because of a lack of training or a lack of immersion or a lack of, I don't know, follow through, faith, commitment, I don't know. But certainly that happens to all of us. I asked him a third question. I said, how... Does repeated training help us develop the automatic responses to use in real-life situations when needed? In other words, these athletes he's training, they're training for a reason so that then when they get to the real thing, the game, these are not things that they have to think about and consciously execute. So how does repeated training help us develop the automatic responses to use in real-life situations when needed? Automatic responses, automatic reflexes. Think about that. When you're, you Broncos fans, when you were watching Russell Wilson or Peyton Manning throw that tight spiral in and the, for the touchdown, or, you know, watch Seth Curry, some of the great basketball players, Jordan, where they hit that jump shot and it goes, what you don't see are the tens of thousands of hours that are done in the process of building this movement pattern, this timing and rhythm. Training is just not about building muscle. It's so much more. It's about muscles turning off and on, coordination. It's a skill set. Playing the piano is a skill set. Learning to dance. You ever try to dance and do the salsa or those little patterns and you're in your head and then watch a professional dancer. They're not thinking. They're doing 50,000 things at once with their body, the ballet dancers. That's the beauty of repetition and implying tens of thousands of hours to become so skilled at something where you don't think about it, it becomes an automatic reflex. If I were talking to a medical crowd, I talked to you about parts of the brain you use when you're learning and how you have to be really, really fine-tuned, but it's very much like a software pattern on your computer. Once you've done it so many hours, like you don't think about walking, you've done it tens of thousands of hours. It's stored up in the software pattern in a part of your brain called the frontal cortex, and boom, the software turns on as soon as you want to walk. That is how it is with repetition of doing something over and over. It becomes a stored software pattern, and you don't think about it. Derek doesn't think about playing the piano. It just happens. And that's how it is with training in these skill sets of whether it's throwing a football or doing any type of skill in sports. Repetition leads to these habitual, automated, software patterns that just run like that. Hmm. I don't think I need to teach anymore. <laughs> Do you see that? Spiritual training, as Paul said, has value for all things. Spiritual training has value now, in this life, and in the life to come.
there's some participation that we get to have and experience. And we have to make ourselves available to the Lord. I want to talk about some things this morning. Uh, spiritual disciplines. How many of you have heard of this word, spiritual disciplines? I know it doesn't sound awesome. It's like, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, Derek, you can be finished. What are spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines, they, uh, I, I, I don't think they're named really, really well, but they are things we know about. Uh, prayer is a spiritual discipline. Uh, worship is a spiritual discipline. Fasting. Um, celebration. Solitude, simplicity, service. They're basically the activities of our faith. And you can relate. There are some we gravitate to and others we sort of push away. Fasting, for example. I want to talk about some spiritual disciplines this morning. That, um, and, and I want to talk about what they are and what they are not. Um, the spiritual disciplines, it, 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 in and of themselves and by themselves, they can do nothing. It's just spiritual activity. The Pharisees participated in this all the time. I give a tenth of all I own. I, uh, I, I fast twice a week. Um, what's, what else is there? I'm good, right? So they can be pursued. Even prayer as we know it can be pursued just in the flesh or in a physical manner. Um, so they can't do anything by themselves. They shouldn't be looked at as just checkboxes because it would be easy. And, and that's what we all want. We want a method for pursuing God that I can say, you know, one, two, three, I've done it. I get my exchange. Thank you, God. I did my work. I did my religious spiritual duties. I feel better about myself. And now where is my reward? Where's the good life? So they're not to be considered a way to God, and th think about this for a moment, if there's another way, if there's something else that tore the veil, and believe it or not, we do that. If there's something else that makes God accessible to us, uh, that is a huge, huge problem, because Jesus made a way for us. But the Word says, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. We do these things out of faith. And so I want to give us just four spiritual disciplines this morning that we can pursue that should also be thought of as maybe another way of praying. Like if I'm going in to spend some time in silence or solitude, I'm certainly not holding God outside of that space. Or if we're going to fast, we're not holding God outside of that space. God is absolutely involved and, and should be prayerfully and praying for his grace, praying for his revelation. And so I, I just want to say what kind of what they're not, that should be a checkbox, shouldn't be that, oh, if I do this, then man, God, boy, God's really going to, it's just a way, it's a way to draw near him. And I think the purpose of our lives, the purpose of Christ's coming, think about this, is so that we can have communion with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do this morning by way of talking about a few spiritual disciplines is give us an avenue or ways to go, wow, Lord, I, I want to pursue you. I want to learn from you that way. I want to learn your word. I want to learn your, your presence and learn your embrace and learn your love and, and, and learn more about you and draw near to you and experience you, not just learn, not just be some head knowledge. So what I want to do is talk about four spiritual disciplines. By the way, uh, I should tell you right up front, I'm not going to talk about prayer uh, for two reasons. Number one, 
uh, as I said, these might be some other ways to pray, some other ways to engage the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But also in Alpha, in this series uh, at 11 a.m., we're gonna, that's going to be about prayer. So stick around for that. That is a great uh, sort of uh, just a meandering through the idea of prayer, and we'll get a chance to discuss that uh, more deeply. So prayer is not one of the spiritual disciplines that I'm going to pursue, but really it's all prayer. Is it? It's like pray without ceasing. So, and I want to also make these very, very accessible because I believe when we talk about these things, and I'll tell you what they are in just a moment, sometimes when we talk about them, it's like, oh my gosh, that's for monks in a, in a monastery somewhere. That's, that's for someone that, you know, uh, that, Derek's in full-time ministry, man. That's for him and Steve and the others. And, but that's not true. These things are, are things that we all can participate in. And we should. And so I'm going to give us some ways to make them very, very accessible in our lives on a daily basis. The first one is Bible study, okay? Bible study. Um, we could call this a number of different things. We could call this reading the Scripture. We could call this uh, reading the Bible, reflecting on Scripture, and, and all of that should be present. So let's just kind of think about this uh, in a larger way at, at, at a moment. The first thing I want to say is that uh, exposure is not learning. We need to know that. Exposure is not learning. When I was a kid, I developed a strange capacity in high school because I had this great teacher, Dorothy Tucker, to read great books and not be able to tell you what they were about. I, you, and, and you tell me, I hope there's someone else here that has this uh, disease. I'm telling you, I was able to read the entire book and all the while, think about something else. Like, I'm reading the words. And no one ever told me, well, no one's in here. Um, but I certainly wasn't asking the Holy Spirit to give me guidance. But I, I would read the whole thing, and I couldn't tell you what it was about. I was just reading it, because that's what I was told to do. Read this book. Read this book. Read this book. Does anyone else want to confess? Does that happen today? Exposure is not learning. That's another part of our postmodern world with the technological age as well. We think we learn so much on the internet. And we watch, you know, 45-minute videos in the course of a week. Have we learned anything? And we treat Scripture like that. You know, we read Scripture like a novel. And we just fly through it. Boy, I read it. Oh, gosh, yeah. I read, I read the book of John this week. But are we slowing down? Are we engaging God when we read scripture? Are we reflecting? Are we making our minds and our hearts ready? Do we pray and say, Lord, I'm going to open your word today. Show me. Show me something. And one way I would say to encourage you to make this very accessible is read smaller parts of scripture. And by the way, get yourself a great Bible. You see how spiritual I am? This one's huge. This is a great Bible, though, uh, the ESV Study Bible. Get, if, if you're looking for a Bible that, that can give you uh, insight, background, and some big theological words that somebody will mention to you occasionally, I'm not talking about Steve right now, by the way, um, this will give you an introduction to every book in here and tell you who it's to, who wrote it, when they wrote it, why they wrote it, and, it just, and just the introduction alone can illuminate so much. So get, get yourself a good Bible, and what I would say when you're reading Scripture 
is maybe make it smaller in, in, in scope. Uh, this morning, just uh, it was prepared for the message, and I thought, you know, let me take a few minutes and read John chapter 7. For me, it was just like, I'm going to look at the book of John, because we've been studying the book of John, and, and, and Steve's in, in John 1, or 1 John. And I thought, I'm going to do this. And it was just an experiment with me. I said, I'm going to read the gospel, I mean, the seventh chapter of the gospel of John. I prayed before I did. Just, Lord, just illuminate for me something here that, that, that I can learn from, that I can engage you on. And I read the chapter, and I thought about it at the end. And, and I came across these words where Jesus said, this, is, this, is, this was awesome. He said, you know, because the, the Jew, Jews were challenging him that he, did, he, he was not speaking by God's authority, but by his own. And Jesus said this little thing. He goes, you know, people who desire the will of God can tell if I'm speaking on God's authority or mine. Yeah, it's a simple little two or three lines. His response to them was, those, he's talking about us, those who are seeking the will of the Father, they will know whether I am speaking on his authority or mine. And I reflected on that. How many minutes do you think passed? Not even seven. Not even seven. And so church, here we go. The first way to make this accessible is I would encourage you in any one of these spiritual disciplines except for fasting because that's not going to work. You'll see why. I would encourage you. We're going to talk about study, Bible study. We're going to talk about solitude. We're going to talk about meditation. And we're going to talk about fasting. For the first three, Bible study, solitude, and meditation, I would encourage you. Try to carve out. You ready for this? It's a huge commitment. I know you're busy. Seven to 15 minutes. Seven to 15 minutes. Derek, why seven? I don't know. It's a good biblical number. And it's not a lot of time. And I think we can relate to that. But you can't believe what God can do. We cannot believe what God can do in seven minutes, in one second, in no time at all. And so I encourage you, just as a way of accessibility and to begin to give God attention, to begin to give God our hearts. Go for seven minutes. Are you ready? Is that okay? Seven to 15 minutes. And here's what I would say. If you haven't done any of this before, boy, don't go, don't, don't go more than 15 minutes because it might discourage you. If you try and bite off, man, I'm doing an hour and a half every day. I'm, I'm, I got I to gotta fix things. What doctrine are you believing in? I got to fix things. I'm back to rationalism. Now I'm a product again. Live in this world, not of it. All right? So Bible study. First Timothy, I mean, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful. Oh, my goodness, for teaching, for direction, for correction, for counsel. All scriptures God breathed. And so we come to scripture, 
Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, show me your heart. Show me your power. Show me your presence. Show me your truth. Lead me into all truth. Do we have time to read Psalm 19? Yes, let's do it. There are a few psalms. There are just a couple, I think, that we could read and really benefit from. Hey, you have Bibles in your seats. How about that? I forgot about that. Yes, this is a church. <laughs> Psalm 19 is not very long, but listen to this. If you want to grab that Bible under your seat, that's great. But listen to this, church. I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent a tent, set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising, its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord, church, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. And righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. What have, what, have, what have we sought out in that material world? Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. Hello. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Who can? Declare me innocent from, the, from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen? Wow. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Go back to that psalm. There's, there's, a, there's something for meditation right there to realize and, and know within ourselves and deeply, deeply in our hearts that his word revives our soul. And that will happen. That will happen when we spend time there. Amen? Okay. Solitude. Solitude. Not, not something uh, we probably seek out regularly. But did Jesus... He drew away, did he not? He drew away. And there's so much noise around us. I think this is a beautiful way of going to commune with the Father. Something I personally have pursued for about almost a year now, just saying, Lord, I need that, I need that time alone with you. Because when you are alone and you go and seek solitude, remember, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. You are not standing on some trail alone. You are not in your closet alone. You are not somewhere in your car on a county road somewhere alone. 
But solitude is something that can strengthen us. Jesus was led into the desert by the Spirit after his baptism, right? And he fasted there. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he was also alone. But was he alone? Boy, he is there. He's part of the Godhead. And that is one. That is one. The Spirit led him there, for one thing. Very interesting. I want to read you something from, I got a few books up here, uh, just to reference one that we talked about last week, um, The Great Omission, just a great book, um, uh, Reclaiming Jesus' Essential Teachings on Discipleship, uh, another one called The Spirit of the Disciplines, Understanding How God Changes Lives, and this one, um, A Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. In fact, there are many spiritual disciplines in here. Uh, this is a great book. Uh, for just diving into some of the spiritual disciplines. And please remember what I said about make these accessible. Spend just a little time to develop these habits and this kind of communion with God in these ways so that it doesn't overwhelm you and, and we give up. I want to read you just a passage from uh, Celebration of Discipline about solitude. Listen to this. Maybe a couple. T.S. Eliot, as a matter of fact, analyzes our culture well. Of course, he lived a while back. Uh, when he writes, where shall the world be found? Where will, the, where will the word resound? Not here. There is not enough silence. T.S. Eliot was a Christian man. We can cultivate an inner solitude and silence that sets us free from loneliness and fear. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said uh, when someone asked, oh no, I'll deal with that in a minute. This is uh, from Life Together. He titled one of his chapters, The Day Together, and the following chapter, The Day Alone. Both are, he quote, and both, I'm sorry, no, he's not a quote yet. Both are essential for spiritual success. He writes, and I quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity Self-infatuation and despair. Tying community and solitude together. But I encourage you, get, get, get alone with God. And again, you don't have to seek out half a day of solitude, but some time to let our souls settle and realize God is with us. God is there. Uh, the next one. Meditation, I mean, uh, med yeah, meditation. Ooh. There it goes. Meditation. Uh, there's so much in Scripture uh, about meditating, and I know many of us today associate meditation with Eastern religions, and that's true, but there's a, there's a very distinguishing difference between Eastern meditation and Christian meditation. In Eastern meditation, you are there to empty yourself, to detach to completely detach. In fellowship with God and in Christian meditation, 
We are there to be filled. We are there to be filled by him and by his spirit again and again and again. We are there to attach and reorient ourselves to the foundation of Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so I just encourage you that way because it can be pursued just as a matter of physical, like, wow, I just feel pretty good. And in the physical sense and in the science sense, sense you, you, you might seek after something that's totally and simply and merely physical, some sort of beta phase or some real stillness or brain waves that you've, you've reached a certain level of relaxation. That's not it. Christian meditation is to, like we were talking about Bible study earlier, to take his word and to meditate on it. Psalm 1. What does Psalm 1 say? I think I have this up here as a matter of fact. No, do I? Yes, I do. Good. Uh, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. Stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And as we read a moment ago, the li- the God's living word, it's living and active, we're told in Scripture, it revives our soul. And, and there is communion to be had in meditation to take God's Scripture and just meditate on that. I have, uh, Will, would you do me a favor? Upstairs by the printer, there's a, there's a little stack of, of little pages there. They have uh, parables and psalms on them. Would you grab them for me? Um, it's just, a, I, I want to have this material available. So if you want a way to begin to dig into meditation, I want to give you, again, some things that are accessible. And what Will's going to bring me is, a, uh, I'm going to put these on the communion table, a few of them. Um, there, there are two different things. On the front side is most, of, uh, most or all of the parables of Christ. And everywhere they are in the Gospels. The parables of Christ, he told his disciples that the secrets of the kingdom are contained in those parables. Because they asked him, why are you teaching in parables? And he would explain them to them. He would get behind, you know, go off in the field and he would explain them to them. But why are you teaching parables? He said, the secrets of the kingdom are within those. And what did he say? To him who has ears, let him hear. Strange saying, is it not? We all have ears, don't we? Is he talking about physical ears? I don't think so. To him, and he says in that other passage in John 7 that I read this morning, the one who is seeking the will of the Father will know if I'm speaking by my authority or his, the one who sent me. And so when we pursue the parables, and they're all very, very short. Oh, my goodness. You might be able to do two in seven minutes. I'm kidding. Don't do two. But just engage with these parables. If you've never looked at all the parables of Christ, it is extremely worthwhile. Uh, The way he taught allowed the person and the stories he told, and he used all these natural things in in life. In fact, 90-some percent of his parables, he never mentions the kingdom of God. But he's talking about the kingdom of God, right? And so take these parables and just meditate on them. Spend time reflecting on them. How much time have we spent developing the doctrine of rationalism or materialism or immediatism or productivity? Oh, my goodness. Anybody want to give an estimate? You know, that's worse than the Internet. That's, that's worse than the Internet. So I, I'm, I'm just asking us, come, let's move forward in our faith. 
and let's take up, let's create some habits and use our time well, so like the understudy, and make it accessible. Make it accessible. So, meditation. And the final one here, um, fasting. 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 A couple of things I'll point out. We won't, um, well, maybe we'll read Isaiah 58. There is something, there's an important aspect of engagement with God, and that is making ourselves available to His Spirit to be transformed. And that includes change. That's transformation, but it includes change. Change in habits, change in thoughts, change, change in ways of living. And in Isaiah 58, he talks about a true fast. And he sort of... Uh, the word of the Lord illuminates for us that a fast can be pursued just to feel a little more religious. But the true fast has transformation. And he even likens in, in, in Isaiah 58, the true fast ends in some of those things that sound a lot like Jesus and why he came. Yeah, thank you. You can bring him up here, please. He came to set captives free. He came to deliver and, and, and deliver the oppressed, deliver those who are oppressed. And in Isaiah 58, you see this sort of correlation. We're supposed to do things like him. And remember I said last week, uh, he said that if you believe in me, you will do what I've been doing. That person will do what I've been doing. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, and even greater things, greater things than these will he do. So it's interesting that Isaiah 58, again, commissions us to accomplish the work of Jesus. The church is the light of the world. And so we receive from him, and in these spiritual disciplines, and there are many others, study, Bible study, solitude, meditation, fasting, we're becoming like him, and we're having communion with him, Richard Foster, who wrote this book, The Celebration of Discipline, even says that joy, an overwhelming joy will attend these things oftentimes and attend these, these moments when we are placing ourselves before God, submitting Him to Him and, and exercising spiritually, doing some spiritual training that's building us up and making us stronger. And all of these things, church, have tremendous pitfalls. They do. We can become a Pharisee and a legalist overnight or in an hour even. And, and you'll, you can feel that. Maybe we've all felt that. And, and we feel that on the other side too. We feel when I don't do enough, we feel condemned. Well, we're not condemned. The Spirit is counseling us, but we're not condemned. We're, 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 we're living by patterns of this world rather than the, the patterns and truths of the kingdom. So I hope that you hear me this morning when I say these spiritual disciplines, they're, they're part of our path to become Christ-like. And they're seasons for everything. No one, I, I, could see, I could see any one of us, and I've done this, oh, what are those four disciplines again? Thank you. Got them, got them, got them. Are there others? Oh, I need, okay, what are those? Great. Got them, got them, got them. We just feel that in our spirit. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live this life. I am going to do it. Do you see what I'm saying? That stuff just sneaks in in the sleekest ways. 
So, but we want to be, become like Christ. And we want to draw near to him and experience those things. And I promise you, this is, not, this is not my promise. God tells us, draw near to him, and I will draw near to you. And so, Christian, think about, I mean, if there's one thing here that, that inspires you, and you can feel the Spirit of God saying, all right, yeah, come to me. All you who are weary, and you will find rest. But we, we want to reorient the way we think to the things of Christ. Here come the kids. Come on in. Okay, well, um, if the worship team, where are they? Will they come on back? We're going we're gonna to close here, and uh, let's, let's pray over this and uh, just get ready to worship. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, uh, just for your grace. Thank you for your love. Lord, we never want to move away from that. It is by your grace that we are saved. And uh, Lord, by your spirit, you accomplish your work by your spirit, not by power, not by might, says the Lord, but by my spirit. And so, Lord, teach us to live by your spirit. Teach us to draw near to you with faith, with assurance that you are there, that you are with us. And God, may we each have experience with you, fellowship with you, draw near to you through the blood of Christ, pray to you and pray for illumination and direction. And Lord, may we grow strong and learn your precepts. And Lord, may those things truly enliven us and revive our souls. Lord, you are a blessing to us. You are strength to us, oh God. Lord, we love you. We pray for this communion time. We pray, Lord, and thank you for your body broken for us, for your blood spilled out for us. Lord, you are a good God. Let your will be done in our lives. And Lord, may you be glorified. May you be honored, Lord. And God, let our testimony of you and our fellowship with you increase for your glory, in the mighty name of Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.